Welcome to the Behind the Bits podcast. Your host, Scott Curtis, wants to learn everything he can about stand-up comedy and take you along for the ride. Scott and his guests talk serious about comedy in every episode. Behind the Bits will uncover knowledge from different perspectives on subjects such as writing and performing stand-up comedy, as well as booking shows and the comedy life. If you're thinking about becoming a stand-up comic, already in the comic game, or a comedy nerd, Behind the Bits is the show for you. Now, let's get Behind the Bits. Welcome back to Behind the Bits. I'm still Scott Curtis, and I've got Aaron Sorrells with me today. How are you doing, sir? Hey, I'm well, Scott. Thanks uh, for having me on Behind the Bits. Yes, we we try to get behind the bits. We all do bits up there, and let's get behind them and see what it's all about. <laughs> <laughs> the story behind the funny, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, more more of a serious talk about comedy, and uh, ho- hopefully we can get your story on here. I'm, I'm glad you took the time to talk to me. Pleasure. Yeah, you're a Grand Rapids guy, right? I am. I am. Yep. I live downtown Grand Rapids. Uh, I'm just about a mile outside of the heart of Grand Rapids. Cool. Um, so obviously the the subject that everybody's talking about is uh, the isolation thing. And uh, uh, we're uh, recording this on April 2nd of 2020 for people who come back two years from now and listen to it. And we're in the middle of a pandemic and uh, we are all social distancing. How's that going for you? Well, as the unemployed alcoholic, I'm pretty socially distant anyway. Uh. <laughs> no, uh, it's it's an adjustment. It's uh, um, it's kind of tough to mm. go from being able to interact with people live to all of a sudden being holed up and uh, isolated. Mm. Uh, it, it makes things like this connecting digitally just that much more important. Right, right. How um, I do want to get into the unemployed al- alcoholic thing, um, but uh, I wanted to ask you about, uh, first of all, your early influences in uh, comedy, which uh, comics stood out to you when um, you were a kid or before you even started being a comic? Uh, you know, just the first person that uh, comes to mind, and he certainly wasn't the first, but uh, just the first time I remember just rolling in my uh, rolling on the floor laughing at comedy was probably Dave Chappelle. I mean, that Uh that guy is just, just as funny as it gets his, his ability to just transport people to a fictitious uh, setting and tell a hilarious story uh, is, is just second to none. Mm. I, uh, it's so funny how many people say that, uh, we were talking about Garrett, uh, Garrett Ozinga, who's going to be on a future episode. Uh, he said the same thing. <laughs> Did he really? Ah. Yeah. And, uh, I always and, knew and, I liked know, Garrett. <laughs> yeah. It, you know, it's funny. I, you know, you know, I'm 55 and I missed all that. Uh, I, I, I think I maybe watched like in half, half an episode of that, uh, and, uh, of the Chappelle show. And I know, I think my son was watching it, but it just, you know, you know, I was working and not even thinking about comedy at the time. So it just never, it n- never became, uh, something important to me. And I, I, I still haven't watched his special that was, uh, supposed to be groundbreaking. So, you know, I've missed all that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It'd be worth uh, checking out. He's, he's yeah. a funny dude. Yeah. So, um, so, you know, 
you're you're uh, you're a kid. You grow up. Um, when did you start doing stand up? Uh, I just started doing stand up about two years ago. Actually, yeah. two years ago uh, in March uh, with Laugh Fest here in Grand Rapids was the first time I ever got on stage uh, to do mm-hmm. stand up. Um, and, and that was after uh, kind of a painful period in my life about three and a half years ago. Now I left a very good job to address alcohol in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, it had gotten out of control. It was dominating uh, my decision-making and, uh, I knew I had to do something and I knew I wasn't able to just fix it on my own. So I left a good job, threw myself into a great recovery program, got plugged in with a wonderful church and uh, started that healing and that recovery process. Mm. Um, <laughs> figured that might take a couple of weeks and then I would get back to work, uh, but that is not how it happened. Yeah. A couple of weeks of unemployment turned to a couple months, three months, six months, nine months, ultimately over a year of unemployment uh, where just every single door that I knocked on closed. Mm. Uh, I was looking at executive level stuff from to entry level stuff and everything in between, and I just couldn't get a door to open. Yeah, mm-hmm. it, was, it was really painful. Uh, But then about a year into that, uh, my wife and I are walking around downtown Grand Rapids and we were just laughing together at a time that should have been kind of miserable. uh, Mm. We were just laughing and and it just struck me the power of laughter and how wonderful it is in getting through rough times. Uh, And I thought, you know what, maybe I should do this. Maybe I should try to get on stage and and do comedy. Mm -hmm. Um, It was the last day to apply for a spot with Laugh Fest. Uh, So that was good because I wasn't able to think about it or talk myself out of it. I just did it. Mm. And uh, I got a spot, a wonderful spot, Friday night, prime time at Dr. Grin's, my first time on stage. And uh, and it went really well. And it, it uh, completely flipped the script uh, for what I was going through. Um, I found purpose through comedy. And my mm. mission in comedy is now to help people laugh while highlighting recovery and faith. Mm. Uh, that's not to say that I'm knocking beers out of people's hands or hitting them over the head with the Bible, but yeah. uh, well, <laughs> that, that's not very effective. I uh-huh. But uh, but that is, I'm, I'm very open about who I am and what I've experienced. And uh, that's opened up some really wonderful conversations with people. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a, that's a neat story. So let's, let's go back. I, you know, I, I don't want to ask what your job was exactly, but if you could tell me, kind of what you were doing um, before you went into treatment? What what type of work were you doing? Well, um, I've done a number of different things. Um, most recently, I was the marketing director for an equipment manufacturing company. Mm-hmm. Um, again, a big, big company, good job, uh, traveled a lot, uh, did some real fun stuff with them. Um, but I've, I've done some entrepreneurial things in the past. I've, I've done some management things. I've, 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 done a lot. I'm either really well-versed or a mutt, depending on how you look at it. Right. Right. Um, so that type of work kind of lends itself to, um, going out and having dinner and having a few drinks and, uh, uh, in the name of business in the name of, uh, uh, solidifying relationships with your clients and stuff like that. So, uh, is, I can kind of see a trend there um, that, you know, having a few beers on a Wednesday night to having um, some gin and tonics on a Thursday night and then uh, going to the weekend, you got to keep it going. So how many years, how many years did you uh, experience just like a heavy drinking period that you didn't know was alcoholism before you finally decided, Hey, there's something wrong here. Boy, that's uh 
there's a lot to unpack with that question. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, I'm, sure the the, yeah, I'm sure this is hilarious so far, right? Yeah. Welcome to this comedy podcast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, it's a serious co- podcast about comedy. So excellent. We don't excellent. we don't have to we don't have to laugh the whole time. Right, right. Well, yeah. And it's important to be able to do both. It's important to be able to laugh and it's important to be able to share the truth behind our stories. So, right. yeah, I, I actually discovered alcohol when I was in the fifth grade, mm-hmm. um, which is pretty early. I caught on quite quickly. Uh, by the seventh grade, it was a dominant part of my, my identity. Okay. Um, you know, I was a drinker. I was a partier. I think uh, we called ourselves stoners at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that might date it, you know, <laughs> early nineties, even late eighties, bet there. But that's uh, what we called ourselves in the seventies. <laughs> all right, all right. Uh, but <laughs> but, uh, but I carried that uh, that part of my identity through all my life. I mean, through college, I was a big drinker, big partier. Uh, when I started getting into the professional world, same thing, like you were talking about. Um, I don't know if it was necessary or not, but I certainly used it as a self-justification uh, for mm-hmm. drinking that, hey, this is client relationship. This is uh, this is networking. This is brand building. This is all that important stuff. So um, to, to answer your question of like, when did it start? Man, I don't know when it wasn't there. It's uh, it's just... Mm-hmm. For as my early childhood memories, uh, alcohol was a was a big part of my identity and and who I was. Mm-hmm. Now, were uh, your uh, parents heavy drinkers too? Is this a family thing, or did this kind of start with you? You know, um, there's not a long history of alcoholism in my family. In fact, uh, uh, my dad, uh, who passed away uh, December not of last year, but the year before. Um, he was a Lutheran pastor. Uh, mm-hmm. And so like my mom and dad, they, they might uh, split a six pack uh, once a month and get halfway through it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, so, so that wasn't it. I mean, I had a good childhood. Um, mm. You know, there's good, bad and ugly in everybody's childhood. But, uh, but in general, I'd say I had a really good childhood. Um, you know, God was a, was a part of our household growing up. Um mm. I, I was, um, you know, the faith was a, was a part of all that. Um, but it, you know, that, that, that doesn't necessarily mean that we're not going to run into problems. That doesn't mm. necessarily mean anything. In fact, growing up a, a PK or a preacher's kid, um, it's, it's, uh, kind of stereotypical that you end up being a little bit rebellious and in pursuing the sins of the flesh and whatnot. So. Mm-hmm. Do you um, feel like that that uh, as as you were getting older and in into your job and stuff like that, do you feel like you moved away from your faith a little bit at that point? Uh, did and uh, just be became like a lukewarm Christian or something like that, or did was that still a big part of your life? You just knew you just had the alcoholism as kind of uh, something that you were carrying along with it. Well, you know, my, my faith walk kind of ebbed and flowed throughout my life. Um, mm. Kind of like I was saying, like from, from my earliest memories, I, I had a relationship uh, with God. I, Jesus was my Lord and Savior. And, mm. and you know, that was a, a big piece of who I was. But uh, I didn't always like Christians very much. Uh, um, yeah. <laughs> you know, a lot of, uh, 
a lot of Christians that I saw uh, growing up, uh, they didn't really have what I would consider a, a desirable lifestyle, it was kind of boring, kind of lame, kind of judgmental, mm-hmm. kind of pricks, um, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. and, and, and there's a lot of ugly that goes along with that too. Uh, you know, I mean, my dad was the pastor, so I saw behind the scenes, I saw uh, Christians that didn't always act so much like Christians. And then uh, as I started my adult life, um, I found myself in this kind of loop where I would be drawn to a church and then I would get burned, you know? Mm. And, uh, um, and that's of course a very common story. You know, that's, it's a common thing. There's a lot of hurts uh, that people have and are carrying around with them uh, Mm. because of things that Christians have done or said, you know, or or used to manipulate or things like that, you know? So um, I've experienced all that and that caused me to kind of ebb and flow, I'd say, with my relationship. Uh, you know, there, there were times in my life that I worked full time at a church. Um, there were times in my life where I completely avoided it. Um, mm-hmm. But all the way through there, I think uh, um, I had a relationship, have a relationship with, with God through Jesus Christ. So. Mm-hmm. You know, it's funny. Um, I, I don't want to editorialize too much, but the... Uh, there, there are, it goes both ways. First of all, a lot of people who are not of faith, um, they see Christians as one lump of people and they're, they're all this way and they, um, they don't like, uh, to have fun. They don't like to laugh. They don't like to, uh, party in their own way or anything like that. And, and, and they are, they can't understand anything that a non-faithful person would go through. And then by the same token, Christians think people who are non-faithful, we're, we're just all um, having orgies all day and um, uh, uh, shooting up heroin and stuff like Wait, that. Wait, are we not supposed to be doing that? Yeah. <laughs> but but the, the funny thing is, and it's really kind of neat, I, I, uh, I don't know if David's watching, sometimes he does. Uh, we, we've got kind of a a, a large group of local comics here in South Bend that uh, do an open mic at the uh, Drop Comedy Club, and David started coming several months ago, and he's a pastor of a, a local church here, and uh, it was funny watching the young people. I mean, they were kind of scared of him at first because they were afraid <laughs> they were going to offend him and stuff like that, and the funny thing is whether you're Christian or non-Christian, you've heard it all. So you're not, you're not going to hear anything that you, that you haven't heard in the past. And, um, it doesn't necessarily offend you. Um, even though it's not part of your ideology or whatever, you know, and, and it can still be funny. So I, I just think it's fun. It's funny. If you actually talk to somebody who is different than you, you find out you have more in common than, than you have, uh, not in common. So man, we, we could pretty much just wrap it up right there. What yeah, you just said right there. If you talk to people that are of a different group than you are, yep. it's really quick and easy to realize that, boy, we've all got a lot more in common than we do apart, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Um, I did a, a local podcast here for about five years and it was called Michiana people podcast. And the first guy I had on was, um, super, super right-wing conservative, and he was running um, against Jackie Wolarski. His name was Jeff Peterman. Super right-wing, um, and a guy I like a lot. Um, you know, I'm a, a fairly liberal guy myself, and uh, I 
I just liked him as a person. I knew his dad and uh, I liked him as a person. And he was the first guest I had on. My listenership was pretty liberal. Um, and I had a lot of liberal folks on too. And then somebody went back and I had posted something on the Facebook page about an episode. And somebody commented that, uh, um, oh, he had that he had that jerk conservative uh, Jeff Peterman on. I'll never listen to his podcast. And I just, I'm like, look at the rest of the episodes. I mean, I, I run the gamut of, you know, conservatives, liberals, uh, you know, musicians, artists, uh, business owners and stuff like that. So it, it's those preconceived notions that get you in trouble because, uh, you put yourself in a box when you do that. Yeah. 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 It's, uh, um, it, it's unfortunately a part of our culture and society today that, um, you know, I heard somebody say that humanity ends, at the end of our tribe, you know, so mm-hmm. the people that are, uh, that we're plugged in with that are part of our tribe, part of our crew, um, that's who we consider people. And when we go outside of that and find people that disagree with us, maybe have a different lifestyle than us or whatever, um, it's really easy for us to dehumanize them. And, mm-hmm. uh, whether that's, you know, talking about, you know, a liberal group of comics, uh, looking at conservative, uh, Christians, you know, or, or vice versa. Um, and it's really a shame. I I wish that uh, we could all get together and disagree uh, amicably mm-hmm. a little more often than we do. Once you experience talking to somebody that's different from you and you do it on a regular basis and you you find you just have a lot more in common than 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 you thought you had. You go through this year of unemployment and you're at your lowest of low and you decide to do the comedy thing. Let's talk about that first time you got on stage at Dr. Grins. What, t- tell me what was that like? How many minutes did you do? Uh, well, I was supposed to do five and I did six. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I got scolded for that. Uh, um, but, uh, <laughs> um, you know, the, yeah, I really kind of have to go back before that because I had signed up and I got my spot and uh, and I wrote my first attempt at five minutes of comedy. Mm-hmm. And I actually kind of performed it for my wife, uh, which there's a whole world of problems with with performing comedy to a one person audience that you're married to. Yeah. Uh, but uh, <laughs> I kind of went through it and uh, she looked at me in an as nice of a way possible. She went, yeah, that's not very good. Yeah. <laughs> And and I'm so glad that she did because then I started nerding out. Uh, I started uh, listening to podcasts on how to do comedy. Mm-hmm. I started. I got a couple books from the library and started watching comedy specials with a stopwatch and a yellow pad of paper and making hash marks for laughs and mm-hmm. and really started kind of breaking it down. And uh, as I started kind of peeling back the layers and figuring out what was happening underneath what gears were turning, I realized, wow, yeah, that first attempt, uh, was not very good. So, (laughs) (laughs) so I rewrote some stuff with, uh, you know, actually putting punchlines at the end of a sentence, you know, and, Mm -hmm. and, uh, some, you know, the rule of threes and, and, you know, um, I probably should have come up with a third thing to say (laughs) at Mm -hmm. the end of that, but, um, you know, and then, and I put something together and, and my first time, uh, doing comedy, it, it went pretty well. Um, now my second through 40th times, uh, those didn't go as well, Yeah. but, uh, but that first time and packed out place, 200 people turning people away at the door, you know, and, uh, it was, it was a really good experience. Yeah. 
do you feel like, um, so you did something very important at the beginning there. You did it for your wife. And then instead of, uh, uh, letting your ego take, uh, take hold and say, no, this is funny. You decided that you would actually do some research and find out what it takes to write a proper joke, which that a lot of people don't do that. Um, and you've probably seen that, uh, when, when you've seen open mics and things like that and people who do open mics for, you know, three years and do the same stuff over and over again. But did you, uh, do you feel like your, your, uh, past business, uh, experience kind of came into play when you, uh, started dissecting your set and putting that stuff together? Well, uh, two things came into play there. One, certainly having, you know, analytical skill sets and, and, you know, I went, I went through and earned a MBA degree and, and my thinking kind of shifted when I got that education, Yeah, you know, just an analytical problem solving type, uh, mindset. So that certainly helped, but probably more so than that, uh, I was unemployed. Mm -hmm. Uh, so I had the time to do it. Right. Um, it was, um, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm two years into comedy right now and I, I have gotten opportunities that are far past where I should be at this mm-hmm. point. Um, and, and I think that's, uh, in large part due to the fact that I had, uh, a lot of time that I've been able to dedicate to this. Mm-hmm. You know, most people, when they get on stage the first time, um, they don't have 60 hours a week to dedicate towards, uh, honing and learning the craft and all that. So, right. So, so yeah, the analytical stuff really helped out a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but the time was, uh, just as important, if not more important. Right. And I, you know, I concur. I feel like my time in the business world has at least, uh, allowed me to put my ego aside and, and say, okay, this bit just isn't going to make it, or this bit <laughs> needs to be put away for a while and maybe looked at and rewritten at another time because it's not, yeah. it certainly isn't working now. I always give my stuff like three chances. And if I don't get anything in three chances and it goes in the vault. <laughs> and, and, well, and you know, you, you hit an important point there too, the ego thing. And, uh, um, and I got to tell you coming through the recovery process and going through a 12 step program and, and having that, um, that, that's a humbling experience. Yeah. And that, uh, and you need to be able to accept the fact that this thing that you love and have created and presented to the world as a joke, uh, is yeah. terrible yeah. and, and you need to be able to get past the ego and, and let it go. Uh, and, and really going through a 12 step program helped, uh, I bet. helped with that. Yeah. yeah. Now thinking about the fact that you, I mean, when you got into this, you were probably about a year sober then, right? Yeah. Yeah. About, uh, um, well, no, I'm sorry. Um, when I had applied for it, it was a year. I was about uh, um, 18 months sober okay. when I actually got on stage. Okay. So, so thinking about that, um, you are in a bar setting, and a lot of a lot of the mics that you did uh, post that were in a bar setting. How did that work for you with your recovering alcoholic status? <laughs> um, a lot of people have asked that question and, and to tell you the truth, it's, uh, 
Um, I have not been tempted to fall off the wagon while I've been in a bar doing comedy. Okay. Um, and I think, I think a big part of that is because I am there as the unemployed alcoholic, a comedian who helps people laugh mm. while highlighting recovery and faith. You know, I'm there on mission. I'm there on point. I'm there on purpose. Mm-hmm. And, uh, um, and, and that has probably helped keep me sober as opposed to uh, hindered. Uh, now, Triggers are terrible for people. Triggers are terrible for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wouldn't ever advise somebody to go hang out, you know, 25 hours a week in the bars uh, as a step in their recovery process. Right. But I'm in a unique position where I feel like I'm called into that environment, um, not just to hone comedy, but also to be a friend and, and companion to the folks, the the wonderful open mic comedians uh, in, in the area here, mm. I, I really have developed some unique and great friendships that, uh, that are important to me. And, and again, I feel like I'm called into that community to be a part of it, uh, and contribute to it. Right. So you, you, you had a good, you had a good start and you said, you know, the next 30, 40 times weren't as good, <laughs> but you kept working at it. And, you know, I, I find the fact that you're two years into it and you're the, the between the, the comedy and the public speaking, that's, this is pretty much your vocation now. It um, is, it and is. you've been able, you obviously been able to make a, a, a some sort of a living out of it. Um, you know, wh- when did it go from, honing your craft to deciding, okay, I'm going to be the unemployed, uh, comedian and I'm going to, um, do the public speaking and stuff like that. How did, how did you make a business out of the fact that you did this one thing, this one laugh fest deal at Dr. Grin's? Well, um, first off, I wasn't afraid to do things for free, uh, because that that's, I mean, I, I think I did, probably 200 or 250 things for free before I charge a dollar for anything. Uh-huh. Um, and, and it's not like I'm earning a bunch of money. I mean, uh, I think my tax returns for, uh, for 2018, I think I lost uh, $3,500 or $3,200 uh-huh. in, in building this. Yeah. Um, and then in 2019 um, it was, uh, it was more than that. It was like, I, I almost doubled it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, which is great, except it was a negative number and doubling it is, is bad. So, yeah. <laughs> um, right. So, um, so there, I, you know, it was about $5,500 invested in building this. Mm. So, and, and anybody that's been around business knows that it takes investment. It's not that you, especially in, in entertainment or public speaking, you can't, uh, you can't just decide you're going to go get paid for that. You right. have to do it for free for a long time or for, a lot until you get really lucky and then start being able to charge for it. Now, January and February of this year, um, I had two excellent months as far as booking mm. where I had some great things, uh, come into play. Um, and then I, I don't know if you remember about mid March, uh, you know, or late March, uh, something kind of dramatic happened. Uh, the world closed. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> Um, things have started, uh, or just many things have canceled. Um, mm. and that's, uh, that's unfortunate, but, uh, you know, I have, 
I know other people that that has impacted them way more uh, than it has me. But um, but I mean, the after two years of building, uh, that was a a punch square in the chin. You know that uh, um, the the revenue that I had been building towards uh, instantly went away. Um, it'll come back, mm. uh, but but it went away. So. I mean, I've shifted my focus. Uh, you know, fortunately, my mission is not solely to make money. I, I want to help people laugh while highlighting recovery and faith. Um, so I'm I'm able to do that. I'm able to do that online. You know, my website, theunemployedalcoholic.com, there's a bunch of free entertainment stuff on that. And uh, um, I'm very active on all the social media platforms. Um, some of it's funny. Some of it's uh, encouraging. Uh, it's just... Uh, I just try to put content out that helps people laugh or is encouraging. Yeah. I noticed you do pretty much daily stuff and, uh, and you know, that takes work. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, again, this is one of the benefits of considering this, my full-time job is I've, I've got time to dedicate towards it. But yeah, in November of last year, I, I started, uh, releasing a video every single day. Mm. Uh, And, and then, you know, coming into January, my goal was to, in 2020, release uh, uh, 366 videos, one each day. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm on track to do that. And now I've got a groove going. So it's uh, yeah. it's easier to do that. Now I've started releasing two things a day, one video and one piece of other content, a, a screenshot of a joke or something like that. Mm-hmm. So, so, yeah, it's, uh, um, I'm, I'm very consistent with it. Yeah, uh, which is helping. I feel myself uh, hopefully getting better at it, and and more people are seeing it and falling into the rhythm and mm-hmm. engaging with it. So, your uh, marketing background is very evident in your uh, in your social media presence. So, <laughs> uh, it it helps. It it. I mean, marketing is communication, yeah. and to to have a good foundation of understanding how communication works. That's been. Uh, that's been crucial uh, mm-hmm. in in being able to do stuff. You said something um, at close to the beginning that uh, caught me, and I wanted to make sure I expand on this. Um, you talked about uh, after your wife told you your set wasn't that great, that you listened to a bunch of podcasts and um, took out some books from the library. Did any of those stick with you as being um, – really helpful and podcasts and books that you still refer back to? Um, yeah, the, uh, are you familiar with Rick Roberts, the school of laughs? Yes. Yes. Podcast? Mm-hmm. Uh, that was like my number one resource that I went to, mm-hmm. uh, because that, um, much like this podcast that, that, uh, does a really nice job of, uh, kind of breaking things down and all that. Mm-hmm. So, um, I, I started listening to, episodes over and over again, just as much as I could find, I was, I was listening to. Um, <laughs> and okay, here, this is really interesting because, um, I was listening, I randomly found that podcast, the school of laughs, and mm-hmm. I was listening to it. Uh, Rick Roberts was teaching me how to do comedy, uh, without knowing it. And, uh, then I was at Dr. Grin's the night of my first time doing comedy. And a guy walks up to me wearing a name tag that says, Rick Roberts. Oh, <laughs> and, and it was Rick. He was in town for a show with laugh fest and uh, he just happened to walk right up eyeball to eyeball with me. And I, 
I'm glad he had a name tag on because I wouldn't have recognized him if he didn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've heard, I would recognize his voice, but I wouldn't have recognized him in person. Right. And I, I said, are, are you Rick Roberts? And, and he said, well, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I said, you don't, you don't know this, but uh, uh, you've been teaching me how to do comedy. I'm about to get on stage for my first time ever. And uh, we sat together um, leading up to the, to the performance. And then afterwards he gave me some uh, constructive critiques and, and uh, some, some encouraging words. And, mm. uh, and that was great. He and I are, are friends now and um, I'm a supporter of his school of laughs podcast and he's had me on the podcast as a guest mm. and, and all that. But it's, uh, it's just really, really interesting that um, after a year of every door closing in my face, um, then I start doing comedy and the whole script flips. Yeah. Uh, suddenly I get to meet my comedy mentor yeah. <laughs> who, who is at my show completely coincidentally. He had no idea who I was or, or what was happening. It, it was just completely um, fortunate, you mm-hmm. know, and, and unplanned uh, by us. So uh, that was cool. And, and also Michael Jr. Um, are you familiar with him? No, I'm not. Oh, he is a phenomenal comedian and he does comedy with a purpose. Um, uh, Really, really good dude, uh, heavily involved with the Christian Comedy Association. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I mean, he he packs places out and just brings the house down every time. Super, super funny, dude. Um, I had heard him at the Global Leadership Summit um, about a year before, and I heard him talk about uh, um, doing comedy with a purpose, which that kind of planted the seed in me. I didn't, I didn't realize it, but it, it kind of planted the idea that maybe I can do comedy for a purpose. Mm. Um, and then a week before I'm going to do comedy, uh, Michael Jr. was in town performing at, at a church. And, uh, one of my friends called me up and said, Hey, do you want to be the guy to pick up Michael Jr. from the airport and, and drive him over to the gig? And I said, yeah, <laughs> sure. So, <laughs> so the week of my first time ever doing comedy, I got to meet the two people that were incredible uh, influences on me. Um, if Dave Chappelle would have shown up out of, out of nowhere, that'd have been funny too. <laughs> mm. That's, that, that's a really cool story. And that, uh, the, the Rick Roberts podcast is a big one on for me too. And, uh, I, you know, I want to have him on mine, but I, um, I keep forgetting to ask. And I, the funny thing is, is I've got a lot of people approaching me to be on the podcast and I'm doing all those interviews and I'm forgetting to do the ones that, uh, I, that are on my bucket list. So I did, I did manage to get Bob Zaney in and he's, he's on the, he's on the show tomorrow. So, you know, that's uh, great. Yeah. But, uh, you know, the thing with the podcast world is, uh, you know, right now, I can get pretty much whoever I want and, uh, I'm getting as many of those done as I can and, you know, doing two, three interviews a week. And then I'll have things banked for when everybody's working again and they don't have time for me. So <laughs> that's, that's, that's great. Yeah. yeah. So, um, Make hay when the sun's shining. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. So, um, when you did this first one, I, I got to ask, cause I, I, I can't tell how old you are by looking at you. How old were you when you did, did your first stand up? I'm uh, 40. What am I? I'm 45. Okay. Now. Yeah, that's what I am. No, I'm sorry. I'm 46 now. Okay. <laughs> no, I am 45. Wow. I'm, I'm way older this, mentally. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Yeah. So yeah, I was born in 1975. Okay. Yeah. So 
Um, so you were forties when you started. Yep. Yep. I was in my forties mm-hmm. and it wasn't, it wasn't a plan. Like, uh, when I was 40, if, if somebody would have said, Hey, are you going to be a stand up comedian? Uh, there's, it just would have been so far from possible reality. There's no way, but mm-hmm. Okay, folks, um, you have been listening to Aaron Sorrells here on the Behind the Bits podcast on my Facebook page for the the last uh, 30 minutes or so. If you want to hear the rest of this interview, you're going to have to subscribe to Behind the Bits podcast, which is available on all the apps. Just type in Behind the Bits, and I appreciate you listening and subscribing. Bye. Okay, we're done. we're done live streaming now. <laughs> all right, all right. The last one I, I did. To, did I, you tag me in that, or is uh, it... I I don't even know if I tagged you. I okay, all right. I'll I'll, I'll track it down. So and I'm share 55, it. and I work in, <laughs> I, I work in IT as a consultant, but I can't do IT as for anything. <laughs> but the the, <laughs> the video still stays. The the video still stays there, and um, I can tag you in it afterwards. Uh, but multitasking, yeah, as cool. you can tell by the not hitting the record button, is not my strong suit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's too many buttons. But uh, good good times though. Um, so you've put together this whole persona as the unemployed alcoholic, and the. Also, the I mean, your your gig is um, you're a clean comic, and you put together shows with other clean comics and uh, do the whole clean comedy thing. Um, tell tell me about what doors that opens for you, and also what doors that may close for you. Uh, boy, that's a that's a good question because uh, it does both. Um, there, there's a lot of folks that have a preconceived notion that, was that a, was that a pause for a minute? Nope. Or, I don't think so. Oh, we're good. Okay. Yeah. All right. I thought you were giving me the, I, I didn't hit record. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> I stopped recording now. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Um, but there, there are people that have a preconceived notion that, uh, clean comedy is dumb comedy or, or not funny comedy or mm-hmm. dull comedy, um, which, which I don't agree with, uh, entirely. Um, clean comedy can be pretty lame, uh, at times, uh, but so can dirty comedy. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, you know, comedy is, you know, funny is funny. Um, and if that's in a clean environment or a blue environment, um, it, it doesn't change that. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, are, there are people that, uh, that brand is clean comedy, uh, to get a little bit of cushion and, uh-huh. you know, sell it. But like the, you mentioned the clean comedy time and the shows that we do through that, what we do there, um, like Garrett is a good example. Garrett performs blue comedy typically. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, we approached him and asked him if he can do a clean set. Uh, and he absolutely can. And he came and did clean comedy time and crushed it, mm-hmm. you know, cause funny is funny. And, and the real talented, uh, comedians, uh, can, can do both, mm-hmm. uh, like Garrett Elsinga. Um, so, so the, uh, <laughs> the, uh, um, the clean comedy time, closes some doors because people have preconceived notions about it, but it also opens some doors. Uh, the, the fact is over and over and over, I hear people say, Oh, I love comedy. I just wish 
it was clean, you mm-hmm. know, or I just wish you knew what you were going to get. Because people, unfortunately, very regularly have the experience of, oh, comedy, and they go see it, and then they're offended right out the door. Mm. Um, so people, people, a lot of people want to avoid that. Uh, and knowing up front that it's clean comedy helps. Mm. I, I feel like, uh, you know, the comedy I do, uh, is clean. You know, I'm, I'm just a clean guy myself and it's not necessarily my real persona because I cuss like a sailor, um, in real life. And, uh, uh, my, uh, my text messages don't, uh, uh, change my, uh, don't autocorrect my, uh, uh, words for uh duck anymore because it's so used to what I normally text. So, you know, I, I, and I'm absolutely, it's just, it's just what, um, first of all, I feel it's like it's more difficult to, um, fill the time and be clean because you don't have all those words that you can put in and uh, fill a few seconds here or there and have people gasping because you said, you know, what, whatever four letter word or whatever phrase or uh, to, to get them to notice you. Um, so being clean is really more difficult, but also I feel like when I'm talking about my life, I'm, I'm thinking about, uh, you know, my kids who are grown and, you know, I've got a grandson now and stuff like that i just i don't ever want the stuff that is recorded for me to be something that reflects something that um they would be embarrassed about you know uh, you know that's that's that that's one of the things and the the other thing there's some preconceived notions that you can't tackle touchy subjects and still be clean um that's not that's not true at all i mean you can you can do all of them um and uh still be clean and uh uh, you know i'm sure you address your alcoholism and uh you you can address politics you can address religion you you can do all of it and still be clean um and uh still get a message across you know yeah so um i just i just wondered you know you you you're very branded as clean. Your shows are branded as clean. I just wondered what that did as far as opening and closing doors. And obviously, you know, some people are going to, a church is obviously going to be arms wide open for you and uh, maybe a bar or an FOP or something like that. Maybe not because they, they're, they have a certain expectation of uh, what their comics do. Yeah. It's, uh, uh, it's hard to, generalize, uh, because I mean, I've had, um, I've, I've had churches, uh, look at my comedy and, and say that that's not clean enough because I mean, I do clean adult comedy, mm-hmm. uh, you know, my, the topics that I address are targeted towards grownups right. and, you know, I'll get into uh, addiction. I'll get into, uh, the fact that I'm married. I'm not going to graphically discuss, uh, sex, but I might acknowledge that it exists. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Um, and so there's been times when I've been not clean enough for some places. Um, and, uh, and then like you said, vice versa too, there's, uh, I'm sure there's shows that, you know, they don't want to book, uh, a goody two shoes to come in and, and all that. And that's all fine. You know, mm-hmm. my, my comedy is not going to be for everybody. Yeah. Um, but the people that it's for 
uh, they seem to enjoy it. Yeah. And there seems to be like a a renaissance of, of clean comedy right now. I mean, we had Gaffigan forever and, uh, you know, he was, he was kind of the clean guy and, uh, Seinfeld obviously, but, you know, we're getting some others like, uh, Bargetsy, Nate Bargetsy, you know, he's, he's about as clean as you can be. Um, and, uh, I've been to two of his shows and the audience members is the widest range of audience members I've ever seen for a comic, you know, I I mean, you're paying pretty good money for a ticket to see him. So, you know, that somebody that goes to see him is a fan, um, you know, they, they, they know what they're getting into and they think it's funny. So I see, you know, uh, you know, uh, guys with, uh, long hair, lots of tattoos and, uh, lots of piercings uh, all the way up to people who look like me, um, and seeing him and they're all laughing the same way because it's funny. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it, it seems to me like, like Nashville, uh, has been a real hub for clean comedy. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I don't, I don't know why that is entirely. Um, you know, but, but I know I, I, um, was down in Nashville and, and checked out, a an open mic level show and it was clean. Uh-huh. I was, I was amazed by it. Um, you know, cause that, uh, unless it's really intentionally a clean show, that's, that's not my typical experience with, with open mics. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but so Nashville has produced a lot of really talented, uh, clean comedians, uh, that, that, uh, that comedy scene down there, uh, has just done a wonderful job with mm. that. And then things like, uh, uh, dry bar comedy. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of people that, uh, have come out with specials on dry bar mm. and, um, and, and again, I, I think, I think it's a, you know, national or worldwide perhaps, uh, phenomenon that people like comedy, but a lot of people have been burned by it getting a little too, uh, risque or, or blue or whatever mm. you want to call it. So, so yeah, there's, there's a lot of places and geographically and on the internet that have really been producing some wonderful clean comedy content. Yeah. I was just on the dry bar page today. Um, cause, uh, Bob Zaney's going to have a special coming out, uh, April 15th. If anybody can actually get to dry bar and put it out, I don't know <laughs> if they're, <laughs> if they can work work remote or not but uh i was looking at all the specials they had and i mean the page just goes on and on of all the specials and they do live stuff and they do youtube stuff too so and and it's extremely popular when you put the dry bar name by your name uh on on your website or something like that it's it's a big deal and um yeah there's no question about it it's it's an excellent organization and um and they've got an incredible amount of wonderful content out there. Right. Um, I do want to talk a little bit about the business because, you know, you, you talked about your tax returns and stuff like that. Um, you know, um, let's pretend like we're not, um, uh, in a pandemic and, uh, have to stay home and stuff like that. What would you be doing right now to, um, further yourself in business and get yourself scheduled and stuff like that? Because comics need to know that when they get to that level. Well, um, you know, all right. How can I say this without tarnishing my brand, but uh-huh. being, being only two years in comedy, uh, the fact is I, I'm not good enough, uh, to go headline, uh, uh, a comedy weekend at a big comedy club. Mm-hmm. Um, and even if I was good enough, 
uh, the line of people that's in front of me is astronomical. Yeah. Um, so the idea of I'm going to become a comedian and then hit the road and go make money as a comedian. Um, that's, that's probably not realistic. Uh, or it's, it's not realistic for me and it's probably not realistic uh, for many other people that are new to it. Um, so what I did is I tried to figure out how to um, collaborate with other people and put on, create something of value to a market mm. um, and, then, and then bring that show, you know, the clean comedy time shows. Um, that's an excellent example of that. We, we have six comedians that want to come in and do clean material and they're good comedians. They're funny comedians and people can come in and, and just have a wonderful show but I only have to do 15 minutes, yeah, <laughs> uh, which is a lot easier, you know, and, and I've got enough other talented people around me that if I come in and my 15 minutes um, isn't the best, there's other people that can, that can carry the weight a little bit. Yeah. I don't have to, I don't have to completely rely on myself to carry the show and I don't have to sell the show based entirely on myself. Mm. Um, so, so that's the one thing I would say is from a straight business standpoint is figure out how to collaborate with people and, you know, the rising tide lifts all the ships and, and stuff like that, because most of us are not good enough to be on our own. Right. Uh, and if, or at least not good enough to attract the kind of opportunities that uh, you need to be successful on your own. So mm. collaborate, collaborate, collaborate. Mm. Um, and then the second thing is, um, for me, having it be about something bigger than comedy or something bigger than myself mm -hmm. uh, is absolutely crucial because there's so much in comedy. There's so much in performance. There's so much in business. There's so much in life that is beyond my control. Right. That uh, there's going to be some successes and there's going to be failures. But if there's a mission behind it, if there's a vision, if there's a passion to help people to be involved, um, that's going to um, fill some voids that, uh, that frankly, even being wildly successful, uh, would still leave empty. Right. Does that right. make sense? Yeah, very much so. I mean, you hear a lot of people, especially as they're get, getting up in years, uh, talking about their past and they said, you know, I was, you know, headlining, you know, auditoriums and stuff like that, but I wasn't happy. And, and so, you know, that's, that's something, you know, if, if you're leading a balanced life along with, uh, uh, actually trying to start up a decent comedy career, you know, that's, that's important because, uh, the, when, when it's all said and done, you're, you gotta be happy and, uh, you, you gotta, um, have, you know, contentment in whatever faith that you have and, and, uh, be able to say that what I did was an extension of that instead of something I did instead of that. Yeah. 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 Uh, thinking about the, um, what you want to do, um, uh, once again, pretending like, uh, we don't know when we're going to get out of our houses and stuff like that based on, you know, the, the clean comedy show and stuff like that, what, what would be like your five-year plan of where you want to be in, uh, in, in the next five years from now? Um, I, I wouldn't say that I have like a, uh, 
a firm five-year plan, uh, which goes against a little bit of the, you know, traditional business thinking. Uh, but recovery thinking is, you know, take it one day at a time. Right. right. <laughs> and there's plenty to deal with in the day. Um, and that's, that's biblical too, you know, to um, worry about today. Uh, and, um, but, but all that said, if I think I had to, what, what might it look like? Um, a couple things that just really resonate with me is, man, there's been some wonderful, wonderful pieces of wisdom that I've gotten from the recovery community. Mm. The, the process of going through a 12 step, a 12 step program, um, unlocks this wisdom that is just so incredibly valuable. Um, and, you know, the, the fact is most, if not all of us, really probably all of us would greatly benefit from going through a recovery program because mm. we're all recovering from something. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but very few of us will get to the point where we're humbled enough to actually step foot through a recovery program. Mm. So at first I was thinking, boy, I'd like to be able to end the stigma around recovery and get more people to engage. Um, but that might be too big of a challenge for me. So what I've been uh, really thinking about lately, especially with this pandemic, is trying to figure out how to bring the recovery wisdom to people who are not necessarily going to walk through the doors of a recovery program. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just uh, have been test driving this this week um, with a handful of friends where we're meeting online and we're doing what what's called a, a, a social support happy hour. Mm-hmm. And, um, we get together and for the first 45 minutes, it's, it's on zoom, just like we're on now. Um, but we just have informal, just, just chatting, just, just happy hour talk about what's happening and where we're at and what's going on, you know, Mm -hmm. and all that stuff. Um, and then we shift into uh, a format that's very similar to recovery groups. We, we shift into an open share format where we start talking about, uh, uh, well, e- each person gets three to five minutes to share uninterrupted. And they can talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly of w- where they're at and what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got some guidelines that make it a productive and positive thing. And then then the other people can chime in afterwards and just give them words of support, encouragement, and, uh, um, and ask questions for clarification and stuff like that. And so, so when I look ahead to five years down the road, who knows, but right now the things that are important to me is trying to figure out how to share some of this recovery wisdom and some of these practices that are so common in the recovery world and so completely absent in the quote unquote real world. Um, you know, that, uh, that I'm, I'm trying to mesh those together a little bit. Yeah. I've always wondered, uh, if, if you could put a, like a show together that was like a, a humorous look at the 12 steps, you know, <laughs> and um, you know, a lot of those steps aren't very humorous, but I mean, y- you can, uh, you could definitely do 10 minutes on asking forgiveness. Uh, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And if it wasn't good, then you could ask for forgiveness. Afterwards. Right. 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 I mean, but yeah, I've always wondered if, uh, if that would, if that wouldn't make a, wouldn't make a decent show. And the, the problem is, is you do that show and then, uh, then that material's done and you got to do another show because that's, <laughs> that's the way it goes in comedy. Uh, that, 
comedy as an art form it's just uh it just astounds me uh how different it is from everybody else because uh the the stones can come out and play satisfaction in 2020 and everybody loves it just as much but if you do a bit from last year that somebody's already heard then they're like ah get off the stage you know (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah yeah it, it can be like that for yeah, sure uh, yeah i just saw jim gaffigan though uh he he opened up laugh fest this year uh big uh big show at the van andel mm. and uh you know he went through pretty much all new material uh throughout the entire show but at the end he rolled into his hot pockets routine mm. and the place exploded yeah it, it, the place just went up it was it yeah. was amazing you know that um here's something that that not only is it new, but people have heard it so much yeah. that that it's it's now the Rolling Stones playing Satisfaction. Yeah. You yeah. know, it's it's pretty cool. Well, and that's that's the whole reason Steve Martin quit was because uh, he couldn't he couldn't hear himself because everybody was yelling his bits at him, and <laughs> and uh, you know he he he's like you know I'll never do it again because I you know I got too big and I'm in these arenas and everybody's just yelling my show at me and and what <laughs> yeah. good is that? But you know it's funny people do get that like Bargetti's got his Starbucks thing and he you know he does that at the end of every show and people just totally do the same thing i mean he's not quite as big as gaffigan yet but i mean it's it's a similar type response that you know yeah. he, he he can bring that up and very few c- comics can bring that up and uh, they don't have that signature bit um but it's funny that it tends to be clean comics that can do that uh, yeah that's that's a good point yeah i mean there's a correlation there that uh that uh you know those bits uh stand the test of time because they can be said anywhere at any time and also they don't have a time stamp as far as uh being um political or whatever is going on during the day um the, that it came on you know he he that could have happened in 1976 or it ca- could have happened in 2016 and it's still hot pockets so <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> yeah i uh i was really um when uh, ray romano did his uh netflix special after you know you know he had we hadn't seen him do stand up for a long time. He he's been doing it, but nobody filmed it. I was I was really impressed with the fact that he came up with it's just all new material. I mean, it's just where he is now and where his family is now and I I, I thought it was neat that he did that and he didn't have to. <laughs> oh, you know, he right. yeah, he he's got all the money he needs. Um one of the things I like to ask all the comics that I talk to uh what are three things that you know now that you wish you would have known when you started? All right. Uh, well, I kind of, at about one year into it, I think I really started to realize this. I, I heard a lot of established comedians say that, you know, everything that you're going to produce in the first two years is going to be absolute garbage. Uh-huh. <laughs> so if, uh, the sooner that we can accept that and do it anyway, uh-huh. uh, the, the quicker we'll improve, I think. Uh, so, I mean, my, my first time doing comedy, uh, it went really well. So mm. I thought that's just how it was. Yeah. <laughs> and then, and then it was really disappointing 
to get up on a different stage in a different venue and uh, have it not go well. Mm. Um, but you got to film that yeah. and then watch it. Yeah. You got to run it past other more established comedians and get advice and, mm. and all that. And, and in order to do that, you have to accept the fact that it's, it's not really good. Yet. Right. Um, so that's, that's one thing I would say. Um, you know, the other thing I kind of touched on uh, is collaboration. The, the earlier we can try to find opportunities for those around us, the more opportunities we're going to have. Right. Um, just, just try to collaborate and, be the rising tide or at least try to make the tide rise that, mm. that helps all the ships. Right. Um, it's, it's easy to, it's easy to be competitive when it comes to comedy. Mm. It's easy to be comparative where, you know, Hey, how come this person's doing that? Yeah. Um, but if we can be collaborative, boy, that, that's really good. I, what did I say there? <laughs> I'm going to have to listen back to this because that, that, that was, was good. Um, <laughs> the, uh, uh, that we're naturally competitive and, uh, <laughs> but, uh, you still need to collaborate. And, uh, yeah, I, yeah. I agree with that. <laughs> yeah. Um, what, so a third thing that, uh, um, that I, Oh, you know, probably just, just do, just do, 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 mm-hmm. you know, get the, get the stuff out there, get the time on stage, get the, uh, time making videos and putting them out there, even though nobody's going to watch, mm-hmm. um, that's okay. Just, yeah. just put it out there because what'll happen. Like, I mean, I've got hundreds of videos on my website and some of them have only been viewed once or twice or mm-hmm. maybe none ever, you know? Right. Um, but if somebody hears about me and they come to check me out, uh, they can see a whole bunch of material. Mm-hmm. They can see the fact that, Hey, I might only be two years into this, but man, I've got a catalog of work. Yeah. I've got clips from a big variety of shows. Um, I've got these 30 second videos that I've been doing hundreds of, you know, Mm. I've got stories that I've written and published. I've got a big catalog of work. Um, and uh, uh, most, if not all of that stuff I've put out into the Twitterverse or whatever, and nobody's (laughs) ever looked at it. Yeah. (laughs) And that's fine. Uh, it's, do it just for the sake of doing it. Mm-hmm. It's funny you mentioned Twitter. I really like to get on Twitter and um, I do like different hashtags like comic or comedian or stand-up comedian and stuff like that. And I, instead of looking for the ones that are established, I look for the new ones that have like 40 followers or whatever and watch what they put out. And I, I always follow them um, uh, and see what they're doing because it's really neat to watch somebody from the start. And, uh, yeah. see, see somebody who's trying to, um, establish themselves. And, you know, s- some of these folks call themselves a comedian and, and they really shouldn't yet, but, <laughs> but, but some of them, you can see a spark there and you, you can tell that just by what they're putting out on Twitter, they're probably a pretty funny person. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, uh, Twitter, I, <laughs> go ahead. Twitter, Twitter is cool. Twitter is probably the thing that I've gotten the least <laughs> engagement on. Yeah. Uh, you, YouTube probably the most and uh-huh. Facebook, uh, LinkedIn. Actually, I, I, I get some traction with things on LinkedIn. You know, it's, uh, it's totally weird how social media works because, um, I'm actually getting more traction on Twitter with this podcast and, um, on, 
the local podcast I did, it was uh, Instagram. And, you know, I'm, I'm hitting all of them, but, uh, and Facebook is the least on this particular one. That's why I'm doing these live things, <laughs> trying to uh-huh. get the Facebook presence up because it's, easier to watch a video on Facebook than it is on Twitter. Cause you gotta, you gotta click and stuff like that on Twitter. Whereas in Facebook, it'll just autoplay and all that. But, uh, I, uh, it's, it's weird. Social media is weird. It's, it's it, the funny thing is you got to hit them all and see which one, which, which one works. And then that one may not work two months from now and it'll be something else. So right, right. Yeah. <laughs> it's fun. It's funny how you, uh, you talked about, you know, your first two years being garbage. The, the only thing I say to that is it may be garbage in the way that you presented it, but the material may be something because I always talk about putting stuff in the vault and, and bringing it back out. The material may actually be fantastic. You just need to rework it and work on how you say it. You know, the delivery is the important thing. <laughs> that's, that's a good, that's a good point yeah. too. Um, and I guess, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm very proud of some of the stuff that I've produced in the, in the first two years. Mm. Uh, and, and we have to have this balance between being deceived enough to keep going yeah. and humble enough to realize that it's not, it's not done yet. Yeah. Um, but that's a good point. I, I probably lean too far on the garbage yeah. uh, end of the spectrum there. Cause it, cause it is, there's some beautiful things. There's been some beautiful moments through the first two years, um, you know, and I'm still, um, two years and a month into it. Uh, I'm sure a lot, a lot of what I'm still producing is garbage. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and the funny thing is, is, uh, uh, Dries and one of the things that he told me when I interviewed him that was, that stuck with me was that you, you do have to be critical. You do have to, you do have to film yourself and watch yourself and be critical, but, allow yourself some victories too. you know, uh, allow yourself to be proud of what, what you did, because, you know, there is a lot of blood, sweat, and tears that goes into three minutes of comedy. And, oh, yeah. and, and you don't know that unless you've done it. And, uh, so, uh, allow, allow yourself to have those victories and be proud of yourself. So that's important too. The collaboration thing, I tell you, it's, um, it's, uh, my memories, you know, I've been doing it for five years and I'd say I've probably been serious for about a year. Um, the, the memories I have are less of the shows I did and more of the people I met and, and the, the relationships that, that I have with people. You know, it's, you know, there, there's a handful of people here in South Bend, you know, I, I, get together them, you know, with them, you know, I do trivia, um, uh, at the local restaurant and I call them to do trivia and we don't talk much about comedy. We just do trivia together and and have fun and stuff like that. And they're all a heck of a lot younger than me, (laughs) (laughs) but uh, it's the relationships that I remember through that because it's, uh, the, I've made a lot more friends than I ever had by starting, starting to do the stand up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's the key to everything, I mean, yeah. regardless of what we achieve and what we accomplish. When we look back, we'll always remember the relationships. Yeah. I, I have to say that the, uh, the biggest thing that I would like to do is stop saying, uh, and stop stammering when I talk because when I, when on I stage or in general here, 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, that's what that's what the editing booth is for. <laughs> yeah, I'm be- I'm better. Uh, I, you know what? I I got to the point where I just edit out uh, anything that is glaringly bad, um, and the rest of it I just let myself stammer. So when I go back and listen to it, I'm like, okay, I got to get better. I got to get better. So uh, hopefully the audience can handle that because. <laughs> Every, everybody else is so well-spoken and I, I'm still stammering, but whatever. Um, well, we're, we're always, uh, you know, our own worst critic. It's always harder to listen to us. Than uh, anybody yeah. else. I hate hearing my own, my own voice. Z- Zany, oh, yeah. Zany, I, when I interviewed him, he said, I sound like Tom Bodette from the motel six commercials. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I'll never get that out of my brain. Yeah. That's, that, that is, uh, can you say it one time? Uh, we'll leave the light on for you. <laughs> you know, that might be how you have to end your podcast. Yeah, I know. I know. I, and I, nobody's ever said that. A, a lot of people <laughs> say my, my onstage presence is a lot like Letterman, but they, they, nobody's ever said I sound like Tom Bodette. So now every time I hear myself, I'm like, oh yeah, Tom, Tom Bodette. Yep. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Aaron, this has been, this has been great talking to you. Um, I, I really appreciate the fact that you took the time to be on the podcast and also sharing your story. Um, you know, the fact that you are open about talking of, uh, about your alcoholism and your addiction and the fact that you're getting through it and using that as part of your comedy, that's that's uh, much respect for that because uh, uh, a lot, that's hard for a lot of people. And I'm sure it's not easy for you. Thanks, Scott. Yeah, it's uh, it's been it's been great to be here chatting with you, and and uh, sometime I'll have to make it down to South Bend and hit some of them open mics. Down yeah, there. yeah, and I've been up in Grand Rapids a few times and Kalamazoo and stuff like that. So, um, where can well, folks... once it's once it's legal for us to connect in person, we'll have to do that. That'll be great. Yeah, <laughs> I'd I'd like that. Um, where can people get a hold of you and uh, check out your stuff? Best best place to find me is at theunemployedalcoholic.com. Mm-hmm. And uh, a, lot, a lot of times people think that's a joke, and I do have it interwoven with some jokes, but uh, that is my real website, theunemployedalcoholic.com. And there's links to all the different uh, social media platforms from that website. Mm-hmm. Uh, people can uh, um, subscribe if they want to get a like a, 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 an early glimpse of what's coming up the next day. Um, I email out... Uh, you know, what I'm going to be sharing on social media the following day each night. Mm. Um, so a lot of people have done that. Uh, and of course, YouTube, that uh, channel, I think I'm up to 38 uh, subscribers now. So that's, all right, that's just on fire. Yeah. Well, I'm up to eight. So <laughs> are you? Okay. All right. <laughs> I'll subscribe to yours if you subscribe to mine. About that. <laughs> deal. Deal. Yeah. Um, one thing I, I forgot to ask, and uh, since you mentioned your website, um, can you uh, give me the um, history and the meaning behind your um, your artwork on on the website? Oh yeah, yeah. The uh, like the logo you're talking. Yeah, about? your logo. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, that's. Well, let me give you the short version and then I'll go into a little bit deeper version. Mm -hmm. But what my logo is, is it's a smiley face that has a blindfold that reads unemployed alcoholic. Mm -hmm. And, and the meaning behind that is, uh, um, you know, our circumstances, my circumstances will often try to blind me 
to the joy and the laughter that's all around. So that's mm-hmm. just a reminder to not let my circumstances blind me to the joy and laughter that's all around. And it's nice and it's yellow and it's happy. So mm-hmm. that's, that's the logo. Um, but it's, it was funny in developing that logo. It actually started um, as a mock-up of like a Johnny Walker label. Oh, okay. <laughs> and it was a square logo uh, with the Johnny Walker slash on it. And uh, just as, as it started uh, through the development process, um, you know, this is what came out of it. And, and, you know, we went from a square to a circle mm-hmm. and then drew the smiley face at one point and it was like, that's it. Yeah. That is the perfect rendition of, of what I'm doing here. I'm smiling through unemployment, smiling mm-hmm. through alcoholism yeah. and, uh, and not missing the joy in the lab. Yeah. So. Well, I'm glad, I'm glad I remember to talk about that. Cause I read the little snippet on your website and I thought that was, I thought that was a very nice thing. And, uh, understanding behind the 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 logo is important and uh i thought that was neat uh so one of the one of the other things on the website uh if if people want to see that logo or or have one um i i love giving stickers away Mm -hmm. um and i've got stickers with the unemployed alcoholic uh smiley face Mm -hmm. um and clean comedy time people on uh on the website uh there's a thing called smiles. There's a tab called smiles and people can request a free sticker Mm -hmm. um, on that if they want. So anybody who wants one, hit me up, I'll mail it to you. Cool. It's a great logo. Well, Aaron, thanks a lot. It's uh, Aaron Searles and you can find him at the unemployed alcoholic.com. And uh, I suggest you check him out. It looks good. Thanks a lot, Aaron. Thank you, Scott. This has been a pleasure. Yeah.